give him praise. Hallelujah. 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 Come on, praise him. Turn to the Gospel of John, chapter 1. We're going to start reading with verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God, all things were made through him, and without him nothing was made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shined in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. Verse 14, and the word became flesh, and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. The word became flesh. Would you say that after me, please? The word became flesh. Please be seated. It's important that we note that the writers of the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, it's important to note that they wrote 30 to 70 years after the resurrection and the ascension of Jesus Christ. Two of them, Matthew and John, had been among his most constant companions during his ministry on earth. They were disciples of Jesus. And then Mark had known Jesus and was a close associate of Peter and of Paul. Luke, though he may not have met Jesus during his earthly life, knew and consulted with disciples of 
Jesus Christ and was a close associate of the Apostle Paul. These men, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, were not wild-eyed fanatics. They, as a matter of fact, had wavered between belief and unbelief until they became convinced of the true nature and identity of Jesus, the Son of God. They were not starry-eyed enthusiasts who were committed to their fantasies, no matter what the facts were, or even contrary to the facts. They had seen the facts, and they were committed to the facts and to the truth, even if it cost their lives. They heard the testimony of John the Baptist regarding Jesus. They had experienced life and relationship following Jesus. They had seen his love for them and their love for others. They had seen and heard Jesus pray. They heard God speak out of heaven regarding Jesus. They had seen miracle after miracle, healing and deliverance after miracle. They'd seen nature itself bow down and submit to his commands. Seen him steal the thunder and the crashing of the waves and the flashing of the lightning. That one word, peace, be still. They'd seen blinded eyes open and dead folk raised up from the dead. They had heard his unassailable and irrefutable teachings about God, about spiritual truth, and about appropriate behavior toward God and other people and material possessions and the world. They had seen his flawless moral and ethical behavior that confound, conformed perfectly to what he taught and the life that he lived. They heard Jesus predict future events, and they saw those events come to pass, just as he had said they would. They heard him say that he'd be crucified for the sins of the world, that he would rise again from the dead. Sure enough, they saw him crucified. They remembered how they were mortified, reduced to hopelessness, shocked, beyond mention. And then there he was. Though he had been crucified, he was there standing before them, resurrected, alive, and well. Tell them, touch me. It's me. Feel my flesh. Put your finger in the print of the nail. Thrust your hand into the print of the spear in his side. It is me. He ascended back to heaven before their very, very eyes. Ten days later, after his ascension, they received the baptism of the Holy Ghost, just as he had said they would. They received great power to minister, testify, and witness regarding Jesus Christ, the Son of God. 
They were so convinced and moved by what they saw in observing the miracles, the crucifixion, and the resurrection of Jesus, that they maintained their testimony that Jesus was the crucified and risen again Son of God, the Savior of the world. They were convinced by what they saw, convinced by what they experienced, convinced by the time they spent with the Lord. All of the disciples were so convinced that they were executed for preaching and teaching Jesus Christ, except John, the apostle. And John was exiled on a barren island as his punishment. They all were executed except John. They all died still believing in Jesus Christ, still proclaiming what they had seen him do and what they had heard him say. Will Durant, a historian and scholar, in his volume, Caesar and Christ, spoke the following words. Despite the prejudices, theological misconceptions of the gospel writers, they recorded many incidents that mere inventors or novel writers or storytellers would have concealed. The competition of the apostles for high places in the kingdom, they wouldn't have told about that. Their flight after Jesus' arrest, Peter's denial, the failure of Christ to work miracles in Galilee, they would have left that out. The references of some of the auditors to his possible insanity, his early uncertainty about his wisdom, his confessions of ignorance as to the future, his moments of bitterness, his despairing cry on the cross. No one reading these stories and scenes can doubt the reality of the figure behind them. If they wanted to deceive us, they would never have told those stories in the Gospels. But yet, that these few simple men should in one generation have invented so powerful and appealing a personality, so lofty an ethic, so inspiring a vision of human brotherhood, it would be a miracle far more incredible than any story recorded in the Gospels. After two centuries of high criticism, the outline of the Christ, of the life, the character, and the teaching of Christ remain reasonably clear and constitute the most fascinating feature in the history of Western man. In other words, this historian, Will Durant, says that the writers of the Gospels would not have told us the whole story if they were trying to deceive us. But because they were speaking truth, they told even those things that might take away from what truth would imply and would carry. And they spoke those things so that men would know and believe that Jesus was the Christ the son of the living God. For almost 30 years after the ascension of Christ, back to the, when, when he ascended back to the Father in heaven, 
the disciples or the apostles were busy preaching and teaching the gospel and establishing the church. They verbally proclaimed the facts of the life, the word, and the acts of Jesus Christ. But as they grew older, they felt that they needed to reveal and share the truth about Jesus Christ. They concluded that the return of Christ to the earth might not take place immediately. So they felt a need to provide written records regarding the life of Jesus Christ and the teachings regarding Christ. And so Deuteronomy 19 and 15 says, by the mouth of two witnesses, or at the mouth of three witnesses, the matter shall be established. So in the Gospels, we have not just the words of three witnesses, but also the words of four witnesses regarding the life of Jesus Christ. And even that secular history writer, Will Durant, had to say Jesus had to be the greatest man ever to walk the face of the earth. So they wrote four Gospels. The Gospel of Matthew was addressed primarily to the Jews and presented Jesus as the fulfillment of the Old Testament prophecies and the law. Jesus in the book of Matthew was presented as the son of David, as the Messiah of the Jews. The Gospel of Mark is thought by many to have been written before Matthew and Luke and served as a resource to them in their writings. The Gospel of Mark was written between 65 and 70 AD. It was written during a great persecution and just after the execution of Peter and Paul. Mark is said to have been a close companion of Peter and probably recorded many of Peter's recollections of the actions and the words of Jesus. Peter's death caused Mark to act quickly to provide a written record of the life of Christ. And this gospel provided encouragement and strength to the church as it went through great persecution. And then Luke, who wrote the book of Acts also, presents Jesus not just as the Jewish Messiah, but as the Savior of the world. So Matthew, Mark, and Luke are called the synoptic gospels because they see together the life of Christ. Matthew and Mark both contain at least half of the material found in Mark. Uh, Matthew and Luke, I beg your pardon, contain at least half of the material found in the book of Mark. Whereas only eight or nine percent of the material found in the Gospel of John is found in either of the Synoptic Gospels. None of them claim to present a moment-by-moment moment narrative of the life of Christ, nor do any of them claim to present every detail, but together they tell the whole story, and they tell it simultaneously, and they tell it in accord with one another, and it all fits together in a scene and picture for us through the reading of all four of them. Each of the Gospel writers makes his unique contribution to the well of knowledge 
regarding Jesus Christ. And as we read each one of them, we are enabled to compose a more complete picture of who and what Jesus was and what Jesus is. The Synoptic Gospels and the Gospel of John do not conflict with one another, but rather they supplement one another and give us a full picture. The Gospel of John and John the Apostle lived much longer than any of the other apostles. John lived past the year A.D. 100. During the earthly ministry of Jesus, John enjoyed a closer relationship than did most of the other disciples with Jesus. As a matter of fact, John refers to himself four times as the apostle whom Jesus loved. It was to John that Jesus committed the care of his mother, said to John, behold your mother, and mother, behold your son. John, along with, other, with Peter and James, was a member of the inner circle of Jesus Christ. He not only wrote the Gospel of John, he also wrote Revelation and 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. So by the end of the first century A.D., the Christian church was predominantly Gentile, and the majority of its members came not from a Jewish background, but rather from a Hellenistic, a Greco-Roman background. And the terms and categories in which people thought in that new environment were altogether different from those of the Jewish world. And so there was a need for John to provide a statement of the gospel, which was considered, which considered the Hellenistic background of those who read his gospel and used terms that were understandable and familiar to those from a Hellenistic background. And because many of them were developing their own theories and doctrines regarding Jesus, there was a grave necessity that John communicate the revelation that God had given to him regarding the true nature of Jesus Christ. So it was about the year 100 that John, by inspiration of the Holy Spirit, wrote the Gospel of John. It's amazing to me how God began centuries before the birth of Christ to prepare the minds of men to understand who Jesus was and to comprehend the true nature of the ministry of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, as the Word, was a personal revealer in himself of the Godhead. Just as my words reveal my mind, so the Word of God, Jesus Christ, reveals the mind of God. Every time we see the phrase, the Word, in this chapter of John, we might well substitute the phrase, the, the Son of God, the Son of God. Let us quickly observe what John was inspired to say about the Son of God. First John said that the Son of God was already in existence before the world existed. From the dawn of time, the Son of God always existed. This indicates the eternal nature of the Son of God. John 1 and 1 says, In the beginning was the Word, 
and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him nothing was made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of man. Now these verses point out the fact that Jesus, the Son of God, was and is God. And he represents a distinct manifestation of the Godhead. That God, one God, is Father. That one God is Son. And that one God is Holy Ghost. You might say, preacher, how can you believe that? Well, let me tell you that I believe that you can have one eye, one apple, and that one apple is peeled. That one apple is meat or substance. And that one apple is core. But you don't have three apples, you just have one apple in three manifestations. God, the one God, is Father. The one God is Son. The one God is Holy Ghost. Nevertheless, you don't have three gods, you have one God in three manifestations. Go a little bit further. In the Gospel of John 1.14, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. That baby in a manger was God himself manifest on the earth, coming into the world to redeem the world. My father passed away in 1984. And when my father passed, we sent the word out, letting the nation know that Bishop J.A. Blake had passed away. I was so pleased when friends came from afar, bought airplane tickets, and spent their hard-earned money to come and be for the homegoing service. I was blessed by the fact that they interrupted their busy schedules and paid the high airline rates to come to me and to so honor my father. But John proclaims that the eternal Son of God, the Word of God, left his throne in glory to come to this pitiful earth to visit us in our sorrow. He came to heaven, to earth, from wealth to poverty, from comfort to pain, the Word became flesh. He came all the way from heaven down to save a wretch just like me. You don't place a Ferrari engine in the smallest Honda car. You don't house the president of the U.S. in a Motel 6, but rather you keep him in the most elaborate presidential suite in the best hotel. But the word became flesh. Fulton Sheen gives a good illustration of this. He says, it was as if a man wanted to help dogs, but he was not a dog. He could not understand dogs. He could not communicate with dogs. Therefore, he consented to become a dog, live and die like a dog, so that he can understand, be with them, and help them. None of us, none of us, even were it possible, 
would ever do this, but the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Spurgeon says he took on the very nature and substance of manhood. He did not merely assume the name and the notion, the appearance of manhood, but the reality of manhood, the weakness, the suffering, the mortality of our manhood. He took up on himself. He was no phantom, no apparition, no spirit, no ghost. He had a human body, had a human soul. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. God activated his most powerful weapon. No man on earth was eligible or qualified to come and die for the sins of the world, but Jesus Christ, the Son of God, came all the way from heaven down to die for us. We needed somebody. I said we needed somebody. We needed somebody who was worthy because just not any man could not die for the sins of the world. He had to be worthy to die for the sins of the world. And Jesus was worthy. He was the very son of the almighty God. He was worthy to die. Jesus was innocent. And he who suffers for the sins of another must be innocent of any sins himself. And Jesus did no sin, neither was any God found in his mouth. The one who would die for the sins of the world would have to be related to us because a man sinned against God. And it would have to be man who would die for the sins of the world and lift us up out of the pit of sin and weakness. But Romans 8 and 3 says, for what the law could not do, in that it was weak through the flesh, God, by sending his own Son, and in the likeness of sinful flesh, condemned sin in the flesh, that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. The Word became flesh, the omnipotent one, came to us. No power is greater than his power, but omnipotence is now available to us. The word became flesh. The omnipotent God, by sending his son, showed us his love. And I just came by to tell you, God is in love with you. Would you tell your neighbor, God is in love with you. John 3.16, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. I love to talk about Jesus in the manger. I love to talk about Jesus as a babe in his mother's arms, but I also love to talk about Jesus, the Son of God, who came to save us from our sins and to transform our very life. Jesus lets us know that God is in love with you, but he also lets us know that God understands you and God knows you until my father passed away. I never really lost a member 
of my immediate family. I never known the sorrow of having an immediate direct relative to pass away. But when my father passed, I could sympathize and understand other people when they lost loved ones. I could sympathize when I experienced what they had experienced. And the Bible says in Hebrews 4 and 15, we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weakness, but was in all points tempted like us, yet without sin. And therefore we can come boldly to the throne of grace and find mercy and grace to help in the time of need. I just came back to tell you that Jesus understands. If you look over toward your neighbor and tell them Jesus understands what you're going through. He has been through the burden you bear. He has borne it, the trial you're going through. He has gone through it, but he came through it without sin. He did no sin, neither was any guile found in his mouth. And if Jesus made it, he will help you. I said he will help you. You'll find grace to help and mercy in your time of need. Jesus, who died on the cross for us, is able to obtain God's forgiveness and God's mercy on our souls. Come boldly to the throne of grace and find mercy and grace to help in the time of need. I said God sent his son to die for our sins. And if Jesus came all the way from heaven down to die for us, we ought to welcome him and receive him in our heart. When he first came to the earth, there was no room for him in the end. But every child of God ought to make room for Jesus. Make room for Jesus in your life. Make room for Jesus in your time. Make room for Jesus. He wants to transform and take you higher than you've ever been before. Yes, yes, you can come. I don't care how low you are. You can come. I don't care what people think about you. You can come boldly to the throne of grace. Jesus said, come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I who will give you rest. Thank you, Lord, for coming down. Thank you that you loved us so much that you were willing to die on our behalf. And I know this is Christmas and not Easter, but I still need to tell you that same Jesus that was born and placed in a manger, that same Jesus is here right now. That same Jesus died on a cross, but on the third day morning, Jesus arose from the dead. My Savior is still alive. Jesus 
is alive. Come on, tell three people he's alive. In the name of Jesus, love made him come to the earth on our behalf. Love caused him to die on an old rugged cross. Love caused him to come to the earth that we might be saved. And since Jesus came, I'll receive him. Since Jesus came, I'll live for him. I'm so thankful, I'm so thankful that the Lord died for me and rose again from the dead. We celebrate the babe in the manger. We celebrate that if the Word became flesh, if the Son of Man could come to the earth, it ought to humble us. We walk around with our noses in the air. God came on our behalf, but we walk around patting ourselves on the back and feeling like we're all that. But if he condescended down to us, we ought to be able to reach out to our brother and our sister and show them love and lift them up higher than before. If Jesus humbled himself and became obedient, even to the death, even to the death of the cross, God highly exalted him and gave him a name that's above every name. If God had to lift Jesus, who humbled himself, Lord, help me to be humble. Lord, help me to bow down before you. Lord, help me to feel that I can lift my brother and honor my brother in the name of Jesus. Lord, help me to be humble before you. If Jesus humbled himself, then I can humble myself. But then beyond that, if Jesus could reach out to others, we ought to be able to reach out to other people also. The Bible says the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. That means God loved you and counted you worthy of coming down to see about you. And if he counted you worthy, that means you're worth something. That means you're somebody. If Jesus loved you, don't let anybody put you down. If Jesus loved you, don't let anybody look down on you. I am somebody. Jesus loved me. And if he loved me, then I don't care whether you like me or not. I'm a child of God. I don't care whether you recognize who I am or not. I'm somebody because Jesus died on my behalf. Tell your neighbor, neighbor, I am somebody because Jesus died for me. Yes, oh yeah, I'm so glad that he loved me. I'm so glad that he changed my life and set me free. The word, I said the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. Tell your neighbor, Jesus is here right now. Jesus, the son of God, 
came to this wretched earth of ours. Jesus walked the face of the earth. He left his throne in heaven and came to the earth just for you and for me. I don't know about you, but I feel like praising him. I feel like magnifying him. I feel like glorifying him. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. Thank you, Jesus, for dying for me. Thank you. Thank you. You could have sent 10,000 angels, but you came all the way from heaven down. Thank you. Thank you. Come on and thank him. Come on and praise him. Praise him. Praise him. Stand up and praise him. Praise him. Hallelujah. Glory. the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. We beheld his glory. The only, the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and full of truth. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Not only are you the babe lying in the manger. But you're the son of God, king of the universe, savior of the world. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. All that you are, all that you have done. Give him glory, everybody. Give him glory. Lord, we thank you. All that you are, all that you have done. We praise you, O oh God. That when we were without strength, in due time you die for the ungodly. Thank you, God, that you release the best you had, your only begotten Son, that it might bring salvation into the earth. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. And now bless us this day. Never to forget what you've done. Never to forget who you are. Never to forget the price you paid. Glory to your name. Bless us, dear Lord, to receive you and know you as Savior and Lord. In Jesus' name, let somebody here Accept you as Lord. Every head is bowed, every eye is closed. I want to pray for somebody. I want to pray for somebody who does not know Jesus. I want to pray for somebody whose sins are not forgiven. God's mind is on you today. 
You're not here by accident. You're here by divine grace and mercy. God has drawn you to himself. He draws you because he wants to help you, because he wants to save you, because he wants to transform your life. If you're here today and you don't know the Lord Jesus, your sins are not forgiven. You're not giving your life to him. I want to pray for you today. This can be the most important day of your life. You can be so blessed this day that you'll never again be the same. The blood of Jesus was shed on your behalf. He would now make you his own child, his own child in the walk of the Lord and in the glory of God. Jesus would reach out to you, transform your life. Every head is bowed, every eye is closed. If you would say, preacher, pray for me. I want to receive Jesus as my Savior and my Lord. I want my sins to be forgiven. If that's you, I'll pray for you right where you stand, right where you were, where you are, every sin you've ever committed. Every wrong thing you've done can be forgiven. Your life can become something more than you ever thought it could be. While every eye is closed, every head is bowed. If you would say, preacher, pray for me. I want Jesus to be my Lord. I want him to come into my life. Lift your hand if that's you. Pray for me, preacher. I want the Son of God to be God of my life, to reside in my soul and my spirit, to make me the person that he would have me to be. If that's you, lift that hand. Hold it high. Bow your heads while you're standing. Dear Lord, I pray for every person whose hand is uplifted. I praise you, dear Lord, that you brought them present into your house on this day. I praise you, dear Lord, that you brought them to church because you wanted to save them and forgive them and transform them. Let your work be done in their lives. In the name of Jesus, forgive every sin, every wrong thing they've ever done. Everybody repeat this prayer after me, please. Dear Lord, I'm sorry for my sin. Please forgive me for the wrong I've done and the wrong I have been. I want to be saved. I believe that Jesus is the Son of God. I believe he died for me. I believe he arose from the dead. I accept Jesus as my Savior, as my Lord, and I thank you, Lord. I am saved. I am forgiven. I have new life. Come on, clap your hands and praise the Lord. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for the gift of salvation. Thank you. Thank you, Lord. Listen, if you lifted your hand a moment ago, lift your hand again. I want to speak a word to you. Lift that hand up high. You said, pray for me, preacher. I want to be saved. Every sin you've ever committed is forgiven you. Look at your name and say, every sin you've ever committed is forgiven you. If you prayed that prayer with me, Jesus Christ has come into your life and you'll never be the same again. I want to know your name. I want to write you a letter of encouragement this week. I want to give you literature that you can read in the privacy of your own home. 
I want to touch and agree with you regarding what the Lord has done in your life. So if you lifted your hand saying, pray for me, preacher. I want to give my life to the Lord. Step out into the aisle. Come down to the altar. I want to shake your hand. Come forward quickly. Come forward quickly. In the name of Jesus. Come forward, come forward, come forward, come forward, please, come forward, please, clap your hands and praise God, come on, praise God, come on and praise God, hallelujah, hallelujah, glory to God, come forward, come forward, come forward, come forward, come forward, come forward, everybody. Come forward in the name of Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Come on, let's give God some praise. Give him some glory. Glory, glory. Glory, glory. Praise you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. 